Welcome to A Different Way of Traveling. This is a podcast where we discuss travel for persons with disabilities and special needs in South Africa and beyond with our host, Lois Strachan. Join us as we share inspiring stories of people who travel, exciting accessible travel experiences, and showcase service providers who will accommodate those with special needs. And now, on with the show. Hi everyone and welcome to today's episode of A Different Way of Travelling, a podcast on accessible travel brought to you by Accessible South Africa. I'm your host, Lois Strachan. You know, with the current COVID-19 pandemic preventing us from getting out and traveling, we had some discussions about whether we should be releasing podcasts on accessible travel. We came to the realization that even though we can't physically travel at the moment, it's even more important for us to share travels, our stories, and our experiences through media like this podcast. So we are going to be going ahead and sharing more stories with you of people who travel and the disabilities with which they live. In light of that, our interview today is with Anthony Galino, who is the General Manager of Quasa, the Quad Para Association of the Western Cape here in South Africa. And he shares some experience and insights of traveling with us in the interview. Then, in the Service Provider Spotlight, we have an offer for any service provider who has not yet signed up with Accessible South Africa. So if you're in the tourism or hospitality industries, please stay tuned and find out about that offer. But now, let's meet Anthony Galino. Today on A Different Way of Travelling, we're chatting to Anthony Galino, who is the General Manager of Quasa, the Quad Para Association of the Western Cape. Anthony, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. My absolute pleasure. Maybe we should start off by just asking you to introduce yourself to us and tell us a little of your story and of the work that you're doing. All right. Well, I'm sure 44 years old now and uh, haven't always been a wheelchair user. Life before my disability was very much revolved around sports. I loved playing cricket and uh, was just a, a regular young man living in the uh, deep south, as they call it, of, of the Cape um, in the Fishhook Simonstown area. So a lot of time spent on the beach and just enjoying enjoying nature. And um, yeah, one Sunday afternoon, went out with some friends uh, for a picnic in one of the local nature reserves. And on the way home, the vehicle I was traveling in, which was an open bucky, no, it didn't have a canopy. Um, the bucky rolled. It's lift, it left the road. Uh, there was some gravel on the road, inexperienced driver, and he lost control. And the vehicle rolled once. Um, and I guess the rest is history. I, as a result, uh, broke my neck, uh, the fourth vertebrae. So I'm, you know, in the technical term is I'm a, a C4 quadriplegic. So I am paralyzed 
from my shoulders down. I can literally uh, just shrug my shoulders a little bit. There's no functionality there. Um, so paralyzed in all four of my limbs, my uh, arms, hands, and of course my legs. So I make use of a motorized wheelchair that's controlled and driven by a chin control to get around. And I'm, I'm very fortunate here that the wheelchair gives me some mobility and quite a lot of independence as well. It's great to be able to go where I want to go and look at what I want to look at and head off in the direction of my choice as opposed to you know, having to depend on someone pushing my wheelchair around. So that was uh, coming up for 28 years ago. So it's been quite a journey. Um, I was very fortunate, had a, a very strong support base and a lot of a lot of family and, and friends who stood by me. And um, I think that that support system is is very important in the early, particularly in the early, early parts, early stages of uh, your rehabilitation and, and living life as a person with a disability. So I'm very grateful to the support that I got. I w- lived at home for the first part of my, my life as a, a quadriplegic and it was good, but I must be honest, I was with my mom and dad and I was you know, the youngest child, so I was very spoiled. Um, and I, I quickly realized that being spoiled was actually overrated. Um, you know, that had its pros and cons, but I, I realized that I was missing out on life. Um, my sister would, went overseas and was living and traveling over there. Um, my friends from school who I was still in touch with, they were you know, they were taking the next step in their lives, going to varsity, uh, falling in love, falling out of love. Uh, some of them immigrated, but everyone was, was doing something else. And I, I found that I was living my life through other people and their stories. And I just, you know, one morning woke up and I thought, sure, but I am missing out on life. I have a nice life. I have an easy life, but there's got to be more to life. And um, fortunately for me, in those days was the Quadriplegic Association. Today we're the Quad Para. Association, and uh, they were building a house in Durbanville, which is actually where I live. It's there are a few ways of referring to um, the setup. Some people call it a self-help center, others an independent living center. But basically, the the house where I stay is called the Durbanville Quadriplegic Center, and there are eleven of us who live together, all wheelchair users, and um, we we run the house ourselves. So we manage the house. I always laugh and, and make a joke and say, you know, we make the rules and, and we also break the rules. <laughs> uh, but it's it's very much our house. So we're in control. We don't want people telling us uh, where and when to have tea and meals. It's uh, We all have responsibilities. We all have a portfolio that we're responsible for. And, um, yeah, and it, it enables you to have a level of independency. And for me, moving there was massive because all of a sudden – I went from having a very sheltered life with my folks to having to take on responsibility and having to actually get stuck in and and pretty much do things, not just um, have a life of leisure. And uh, I was then able to study through the Quad Power Association, which was great. Got involved in the organization itself. I ended up being chairperson. Uh, my term finished, and then the next board advertised for the project manager and I applied and after quite a lengthy process, I was um, appointed and I've worked my way up to where I'm now the general manager of the organization, which um, is awesome. You know, when you have a disability and you know, I, I have to admit that you know, physically there's very little I can do. Um, and I, I never thought that I would be in a position to assist other people. So with my job and what I do today, 
um, I'm now in a position where I can impact on the lives of other persons with disabilities. And can that to me is invaluable. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about the work that the Quad Power Association does, just to give a context, particularly for our overseas listeners? Sure. We have various programs and projects in place, and all of them are geared towards helping quadriplegics and paraplegics to live their lives to their full potential. Um, you know, one of the big issues that we have in South Africa at the moment is employment. And mm. uh, when it comes to people with disabilities, the, the stats are terrible and um, many of our people just do not have opportunities. So we've recently, um, Quasar, our national organization, has started a work readiness program where we, for two months, we get candidates in. They come into our office. We have a training center every day. And we give them skills that prepare them for going into the the job place. So we take people who really have skills. They have computer skills. They have, you know, they have skills that are marketable. But we have found that a lot of our members don't actually know how to conduct conduct themselves in the workplace. So we we do things like um, team, you know, how to work in a team, time management, stress management, um, all sorts of things that. Um, don't get taught um, at, at at school or at varsity. So we literally just prepare people for the workplace. We try and set them up for success. And then we have partnerships with a number of um, corporates who are looking to employ and looking to employ persons with disabilities in particular. And um, we then yeah, liaise with, with the people, you know, at the HR people at the various companies, send out CVs and um, organize interviews and We've had a very good success rate. Our last intake, um, we we had six people. We we decided to go for quality over quantity, so we have six people join the program every every two months. And the end of last year, our last graduation was the end of November. Um, and of the six people who graduated, four people have found employment, which uh, is is a pretty good success rate, and we're very proud of it because we do believe that the best way of um, improving the lives and the circumstances of a person with a disability is by finding employment because it is pretty expensive to uh, to have a disability. Um, and also just it builds your self-confidence and all sorts of opportunities arise once once you are up there and working. So that's the one program we have, you know, relationships with uh, Sabbat batteries. Every quadriplegic can get a set of batteries for his or her wheelchair every every couple of years. And we have a wheelchair fund people can apply to uh, where we will provide people with suitable wheelchairs, uh, not just a wheelchair uh, off a catalog. We have people seated correctly so that we know that it's an appropriate wheelchair that's not going to hinder them, but actually um, help them. And uh, we teach people to drive. We have driving ambitions where people with mobility impairments can learn to drive on a vehicle with um, that that's adapted. Um, yeah, I have an education fund that our members can apply to and they can so that they can study uh, whatever they want to. I think it's also important we don't dictate to people what direction they should go in. Uh, we like people to follow their passion and their own interests. Um, so all yeah, various programs they're all all aimed at at just trying to improve the lives of wheelchair users. And of course, we do a lot of a lot of fighting, a lot of advocacy and lobbying, which is really important. It's uh, it's quite tedious. You don't you know, it's not something anyone likes to do, but it's so important that we continue to be in, uh, in almost in the faces of the authorities and reminding them that you know, we are around and that we we need to be listened to and uh, our needs need to be incorporated in everyday life. Absolutely true. 
I want to shift direction slightly because this is a podcast about travel. Pat, imagine that the work that you've done has given you opportunities to travel quite a bit. So can you tell us a little bit about the travels that you've done? Absolutely. Uh, to be honest, I put off traveling after my accident for a really long time. It was just too daunting. Um, and there was a, a gentleman, the, the late Graham Clark, who's who was also paralyzed from his shoulders down. Um, in fact, wasn't able to speak by himself either. Uh, he's, he's used a system technology to to communicate and graham said to me one day he said well you know if, if he can travel if he can fly i think he went over to sweden if i remember correctly and uh, when he got back he said well you know if he can do it then why can't i because when he's on the airplane he was removed from his device and you know i, I couldn't really say well um I, I couldn't think of an answer so I, I figured well if graham can do it then you know why can't i and um so that, that was pretty much the start of of traveling around the country um, we do a lot of a lot of the traveling is for work when we work with local municipalities around the the province. Uh, I've also done some work with some hotel groups, training some of their staff, um, and visited a lot of schools uh, across the Western Cape, which has been interesting. So a mix of work within the province, uh, where I normally drive. I, I I don't really see the point of me flying to George because when I get to George, you know, from Cape Town, it's uh, what an hour flight, but um, I, there's no accessible transport for me on that side. So I actually just find it easier to drive around the province. And then, um, you know, we've flown to all the other, all the other cities around the, the province, uh, sorry, around the country and doing various programs and projects, whatever it might be, sometimes for a meeting, other times uh, to roll out a program that, that we're doing. Can you tell us a little of the logistics? You, I mean, you've, you've mentioned that, where possible you prefer to drive because then you'll have access to your adapted vehicle, which makes a lot of sense. But when you are traveling by a plane or when you're traveling around, staying in accommodation, what are some of the logistics that you face as a traveler in a wheelchair? Well, I think it's important for me to explain to the uh, to the listeners that I am a bit of a giant. Um, I loved, you know, when I was young and, and up and about, I loved being tall. It was the best thing in the world. I got away with murder. Everyone thought I was older than I actually was. But as soon as I became a quadriplegic, being nearly two meters tall became a major drawback. Um, it just makes life much more difficult um, across the board. So transfers. At home, I have a hoist. Uh, when I travel, particularly flying, it's it's you know, that, that goes out the window. It's impossible to take the hoist along with me. So I have to, that's something I have to overcome. I also can't fit in just any vehicle. So even adapted vehicles, some of them that have wheelchair uh, hoists, I, I'm too tall, my head doesn't fit in. So I always have to be very aware of that fact. Um, so when it comes to logistics, I, you know, I've, having traveled a lot, I actually developed a checklist for the various hotels, guest houses, that I stay at, and um, I, I I don't don't budge. I have requirements like if there's a lift, how big is the lift? Yeah, they. Um, I, I've been to Otsu and I remember, and um, they they sort of assured me that there was a big lift. And of course, when I got there, I realised that the big lift was actually not big enough. Um, so after travelling for five hours, I then wasn't able to stay in the hotel I'd booked into, and had to go and find somewhere else, which is not really what you want after a long day working in on the road. Um, so I'm always very aware of of lift sizes um, 
and of gradients. Uh, that's another thing that that one learns is that you know what people you know we have a ramp. Uh, sometimes they'll they'll have a gradient of forty degrees, which wow. um, can can be a challenge. So I'm always aware of that. Hotels, um, because my chair is so big, I need a specific amount of space for my turn-in turn-in circle. So I also often have um, people in the hotels measuring how wide the passage is, just to ensure that I can actually turn into uh, into my, my the room that I've been been designated. Um, so those are some of the logistics. The, the transport is an issue. I do try to make use of. Um, you know, quite para network of of support uh, when I travel because I know that their vehicles are suitable, and I also, you know, it's a very supportive community um, around South Africa. So if you you visit in a certain town or city, make contact with someone who lives there and say, you know, where do you recommend I stay? Uh, any suggestions for transport once I'm there, and all those sorts of things. And I find that people are very willing to share their experiences. Um, and, and assist where they can. Just going back to your checklist, I think that's a brilliant idea. Do you find that most of the service providers are quite willing to to kind of complete and give you the information that you're looking for? I have found the majority to be very accommodating. Um, it is still, of course, there's an element of human error. Um, yeah, so, and, and I've learned as I've gone along, so I, I remember a small guest house up in the Fred and Dahl area up the West Coast. And you know, I, I asked the question, any steps between the dining area and my room? And of course, they ticked that box and said no, but they didn't. And I didn't think to ask, I do now. Um, they didn't tell me that there was actually a drain. So there was a gully that was you know, um, a foot wide, which a wheelchair couldn't uh-huh. negotiate. So... You, you sometimes uh, expect there to be common sense from the person who's doing the checks, um, but unfortunately, you know, you found that they they literally just tick the boxes and don't look at the bigger picture sometimes. Um, but on the whole, yeah, I can't complain. I've actually found that people are in, in guest houses in particular are actually um, quite cautious and will sell themselves short. Um, again, this is my experience with, with my checklist. I think they're very nervous of me arriving and them not being able to accommodate me or things not being up to you know, the standard that, that I require um, and then having to dis- disappoint and having to put up with, with that sort of drama. So I find that they um, welcome the, the checklist um, and that they actually take it, take it quite seriously. And I, I've, I've had to convince myself, I find myself convincing uh, the owner of the guest house to let me stay there, please. Um, <laughs> yeah, because yeah, they, they're nervous that I, I'm, I'm going to have issues and complain and, and I guess make a, make a fuss. Yeah, I think that is, it's not uncommon um, that we, we find that as, as kind of an attitudinal thing that sometimes people are very nervous to put themselves out as an accessible service provider or venue because they don't necessarily know. And I suppose technically because our needs differ so widely, what is okay for you might not be okay for someone else. So it can be hard for those in the, in, in the industry, in the tourism industry. Are there any particular forms of apps or technology that make travel easier for you? I, I don't really make use of any specific um, apps that are related to to my disability. I, I must confess, I I'm a trip a trip advisor um, addict. I do go and uh, read all the reviews, 
Um, and I, I look out particularly for the reviews that speak about attitude of staff, um, because as you just said, I find the attitudinal barrier very often to be, um, you know, the worst. If you can overcome, if you can overcome that, if you can uh, go to an establishment where where people want to help and are willing to help, um, there's normally a way. Um, so much. So my best example of that was a hotel in Muscle Bay, where they had told us it was accessible, and it was. We could get around, but when we were trying to explore around the the area um, on our first day, um, there were quite a few places that were not accessible. There were four wheelchair users in the group. And uh, the next morning, literally the next morning, we woke up and all, you know, they were, one must admit, they were temporary ramps uh, made out of wood, but they had been built in all the inaccessible areas without us, without requesting just, you know, the, the GM on duty had seen that we were, we were battling and he wanted us to be comfortable. So he made a plan to get some temporary ramps put together and we were able to, to access the, the hotel on the, the flip side. I go to Muscle Bay quite often, um, and 10 years later, that's still my hotel of choice. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, when it comes to, to apps, I'm not – I don't really make use of any um, specific apps, just the, the regular ones. Um, and I do find personally that it, I'd rather phone the establishment um, and have a, have a one-on-one chat. Um, I, I find that to be more accurate than uh, any of the tech that I've, I've come across. But I also find that I, I'm a, a good customer. If I'm happy, I, I return to the same hotel guest house over and over um, because I know it works. Which does make a lot of sense because it's often the unfamiliar that causes those unexpected surprises. It is. And it also, I, I find that you know, your second visits, they will have, they know you come in and they've, yeah. uh, they will have made improvements. Um, so I always find that very, you know, very helpful. Great. So through the work that you've done and the travels that you've done, I'm sure you have a number of, of, of kind of unusual and fun and maybe not so fun stories. Would you like to share one of those with us about an experience you've had when traveling? Well, my, my, probably my worst and perhaps most fun with hindsight was my very first flight after my accident, which um, was, I'd been a wheelchair user for I think 16 or 17 years before I finally agreed to fly and it was a flight from Cape Town to Johannesburg um, up for some quite para business and hadn't flown so I was pretty nervous I'd flown before my injury but uh, nothing subsequently and I asked a lot of guys for advice and some tips and um, I was being taken uh, from the PA I was inside the PAU and had been, I was transferred to the slipper chair and um, my assistant wasn't with me uh, they had that we were new at this, so she was trying to look after my wheelchair, which we'd been been warned about because uh, mm. horrible things can can happen to wheelchairs when they're traveling. And um, so we were sort of separated, and the PAU staff took me into the airplane. And as I went over the threshold from the PAU into into the airplane itself, I literally slid out of the slipper chair and ended up on the floor, um, which was you know, pretty much my worst nightmare coming true. Um, but I, from nowhere, I, don't, I really don't know where they came from. They found some good, big South African um, guys to help put me back onto the onto the chair and got me down the aisle. And um, they'd messed up my booking, so my assistant wasn't sitting next to me either. And um, I was then transferred from the slipper chair onto my seat, and I have no control of my arms. 
So my left arm, I was tra- transferring to the left, my left arm swung out and landed on the guy who was seated next to me and landed you know, on his lap, um, right in the middle of his lap and just stayed there. And this guy just looked at me because he's shock horror. You know, there he had this strange person's hand um, yeah, on his lap, on his leg. And he was not sure what to, to make of the, the whole ordeal. And um, fortunately, he had a good sense of humor. So he made a joke about, you know, he didn't realize he was going to meet the man of his dreams on, his, on the flight back to Joburg. <laughs> um, so we, we had a good cackle. And, I, and it, it was a really horrible experience. It was my first experience of flying. And I actually vowed never, ever to fly again when we landed at our tambo. Um, but of course, I had to get back from from Joburg to Cape Town. <laughs> oh my word! And um, it, it, you know, we spent you know the two days that I was in Joburg for work, just thinking about how we could make it better. Yeah. And the second trip went so much better. And you know, the rest is history. We're now regular flyers. But that first, but first falling out of the the slipper chair, um, and then yeah, groping a stranger was uh, well, it was quite a, an introduction to flying. Quite a baptism by fire. Absolutely. Anthony, if you were approached, well, I guess you do this as well quite a lot in your work, but when you're approaching a service provider in the hospitality or tourism industries and they are keen to kind of learn how they can become more accessible, how they can accommodate our needs more easily, where would you advise them to start? My first point of call is always just to have, to have an open mind, to you know have have the right attitude because I I do believe that that all that's where it starts, um, and then to listen to the individual's needs. I I will confess that I do, I do sometimes feel for service providers because disability is so diverse, you know. So my the area that I have most knowledge about is uh, wheelchair users. So yeah, for example, a bathroom you have. It's it's not a one size fits all. Yeah. Um, you can put in all the the grab rails and everything, and then you have someone who prefers to to transfer from left to right as opposed to right to left, which the bathroom has been set up for. So it, it's not easy. Um, so you know, my suggestion is always to be as accommodating as possible, trying to you know put in the basic um, accessibility requirements and then build on that um, as as individuals' needs arise and. And then very importantly, to listen to each individual because we are all different. Um, and then to be flexible. When I go into a hotel room, um, I'm very specific about the way that I like the room to be set up. I transfer to my right um, and I have a big wheelchair. So some rooms aren't set up for that. So we've just learned. We push beds around um, and we'll ask staff, you know, to could we please just help us move you know, this bed over that way? And would you remove this piece of furniture? Um, and I think if it's done from our side, we have to have a, a good attitude. Um, and if the the establishment, the guest house, the hotel, you know, they can normally see the the thinking and the reasoning behind it, and uh, they will then, in my experience, be accommodating. I think communication plays a big part of that. It's kind of sometimes explaining why we need things the way that we do as well because if they don't understand they might be less or more resistant to making that type of change absolutely um my one of my favorite hotels in durban they recently redid the room and i because i'm a big guy and i need someone to stand behind me to transfer me over onto the bed 
or back onto the wheelchair. Um, I prefer a room where the bedside table can be moved. Yeah. Um, but in this hotel, they've gone from that to having a, a fixed unit on the wall, which is actually becomes a bit of a pain for me. Um, because I, how does someone stand behind me when there is a fixed unit, um, to the wall? You know, it's, uh, it makes transfers for someone with my needs a, a real challenge. So we had a really good chat to the, the GM and, uh, you know, pointed out and explained why, um, you know, why the, the new room was no longer my favorite. And, uh, they undertook to, to do something about it. And that's, as you say, communication. People can't fix what they, what they don't know. Sure. Anthony, if people would like to reach out to you um, in your capacity as the, the general manager of Quasar in the Western Cape, how can they reach you? Right. The easiest is always email. Uh, my email address is gm at qawc.org. Short and sweet. So that's gm at qawc.org. Or, um, if, yeah, landline office phone number is 21 nine seven five six zero seven eight um, and of course we have social media and uh, always able to to make contact with us through there great and do you have a, a website for the associate or for the organization yes we do it's uh, also short and sweet it's qawc.org um, so easy to remember great thank you for that We'll also link that on in the show notes so people can reach through to your social media presences as well. Super. If you were to give advice to someone who is newly using a wheelchair and is considering travel but is a bit anxious about doing so, what advice would you give to them to inspire them to travel? Well, first of all, do it. Um, if I can do it, anyone can do it. Um, so, I mean, just, yeah, don't, don't be put off by any fears or concerns. I think planning, preparation is key. Um, do as much planning and preparation as you can. Don't be afraid to make the phone call, to send the email, to ask questions. Um, I also find personally that very often the preparation is, is almost as much fun as the actual <laughs> traveling. Um, yeah, you, you do it all virtually. Um, and then you, you get to see it you know, a little while later in real life. But yes, planning is absolutely key. I think communication, communicate your needs. Don't, don't be um, shy or embarrassed. I think it's very important that we, you know, we say what our needs are. And then be firm as well. When, I, when you're actually doing the traveling, when you're getting on and off the airplane, I think it's important for us to remember that we are the clients. We, it's not a favor that someone's doing us. We are actually, you know, we are in control and I literally take the PAU staff. I say, right guys, won't you come here for a minute? I stop them in their tracks because very often they do try to rush us. Um, so I say, right, these are my needs and I do it with a smile. I think attitude from outside is also very important. Uh, and it's not always easy to smile when you are, but anxious about, about traveling and the, the situation that you're in. But I think that it's important to take charge of the situation and inform everyone of what your expectations are and how you want them to, to do things. If you're traveling with a companion, I think that companion also has a very important role to play it's where they can keep an eye on things and also offer assistance and guidance. Um, I think also to, you know, in, in my case, that, that's, um, I guess, cause I'm an advocate for the rights of personal disabilities, just try to educate as well while we're there. 
um, so that the next person who's traveling through that center um, may, who has a disability may, may actually have a better experience and might not have to go through some of the discomforts that, that we have to. So that's, I think those are my keys, the preparation um, and, and communication. And of course, being firm. So, you know, they're not doing you a favor. Um, you are, you the boss. And it's important because it's your body or your wheelchair uh, or whatever equipment you, you're making use of. And um, you know, we don't want to be without wheelchairs that are damaged. So it's important to, to make sure that they handle not only yourself correctly, but also whatever technology you're traveling with also needs to be treated with respect and care. Thank you. Today on A Different Way of Traveling, we've been chatting to Anthony Gillino, who is the General Manager of the Western Cape Quad Power Association. Anthony, thanks so much for being with us on the podcast today and for sharing some of your thoughts and insights on the topic of travel. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. Now it's time for the Service Provider Spotlight. This is a segment where we usually showcase a service provider who are willing and able to accommodate the needs of those of us with disabilities. In this episode, we're doing something a little bit different. Accessible South Africa is aware of the impact that COVID-19, the coronavirus, is having on the tourism and hospitality industries. In light of this, we've decided to waive the registration fee to list on the Accessible South Africa website. The listing categories are varied and include accommodation, tourist experiences, service providers, restaurants, coffee houses, attractions, activities, and many other categories that are of service to people with disabilities when they travel. We encourage you to hop onto the Accessible South Africa website and on the homepage, you'll find more information about listing. That website is www.accessiblesouthafrica.co.za and you'll find the information on our homepage. Our travel quote for this episode is an anonymous one. We travel not to escape life, but for life not to escape us. And I think that that quote is particularly poignant in the situation we find ourselves at the moment. Because especially when it comes to travel, we aren't able to get out and move around as we would want to. At the same time, we do have the ability to experience travel through hearing the stories and experiences of others. And that's why we are continuing to bring out this podcast. That's it for us for this time. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for listening. And from me, your host, Laura Strachan, stay safe, stay well, and we look forward to seeing you in the next episode. That's it from us for this time. 
You can find Accessible South Africa on the web at accessiblesouthafrica.co.za, on Facebook and Instagram at Accessible South Africa, and on Twitter at Accessible SA. You can also email us at podcast at accessiblesouthafrica.co.za. Editing by Craig Strachan using Hinderberg software. Our theme music is by Lu Chil Chow, based on a motif by Lois Strachan. Credits read by Musa Izulu. Thank you for joining us on a different way of traveling. We'll see you next time. Until then, happy travels.